0: We uh, completed uh, the disciples' prayer last Sunday. We're out of it finally, (laughs) but we're not out of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, We're still there. The 16th verse in the 6th chapter of Matthew, if you'll turn there in your copy of the Scripture, please, for the exposition of the Word this Lord's Day morning and into the early afternoon. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that uh, they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I'm using as a subject for this text from our Lord Jesus Christ for his eyes only. Hypocrisy in biblical faith is a long-standing reality. It was a fact during Jesus' days on earth. as a fact in the Old Testament prior to that. And it's true in the church today. As long as there is divine truth and righteousness on earth, hypocrisy will live. In Luke chapter 12, verse 1, Jesus warned his disciples about the insidious character of hypocrisy. He said these words, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Jesus, of course, here, likened hypocrisy to leaven, meaning influence. The hypocrisy of the Pharisees influenced others to be hypocritical in the area of faith and religion just as they were. They were the best hypocrites' money could buy. Believers are responsible to avoid being influenced in their life and behavior by religious hypocrisy. That's why Jesus said beware. Christians must understand. The truth of what Paul writes. In 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 33. Bad company. Corrupts good morals. In our text. Jesus teaches us how to. Be unhypocritical. In the area of fasting. We're going to give this portion of this message, the heading hypocritical fasting. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. Jesus assumed that his followers would fast, that there would be times and occasions when they would abstain from food. Fasting ordinarily was done just abstaining from food, but water was ordinarily drunk. Certainly people did so during the Old Testament era they fasted they fasted when they were grieving they fasted when they were repenting of sin they fasted when they faced a national crisis and there were other spiritual purposes by which for which they fasted but there was only one event for which God required the Jews to fast in the Old Testament And that was the annual day of atonement. The day of atonement was given on a yearly basis to Israel because on that day all the sins of the nation and the individuals were covered. Because you think about it, there would be sins would be unacknowledged. Some sins would not be recognized. But what God did in his provision, he gave an annual day when the whole nation and all the individuals and that their sins were covered. The day of atonement. But the day of atonement ceased when Jesus gave his once for all sacrifice. His sacrifice at Calvary covered all of our sins, past, present, and future. So there doesn't have to be a reenactment of it on a yearly basis as the day of atonement was for the covering of sin. So that was the required fast. Other fasts were voluntary. And so people fasted. Like the religious or righteous practices of giving to the poor and prayer, fasting was subject to hypocrisy. I already indicated anytime there is the biblical truth, anytime there is anything of, that God grants to his people, there will be those who will take it as an opportunity to put on a religious show. There are always the actors, the pretenders, the hypocrites. The first clause of verse 16 could be translated this way where it is in our Bible, mine Bible. It says this, whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. It could be translated this way, whenever you fast, do not become as the hypocrites. Jesus was warning his disciples of the potential for emulating hypocrites. I already alluded to that. The hypocrites, Hippocrates came from the greek theater were play actors they pretended to be something that they weren't in, in the religious realm they pretended devotion to god but they had no genuine devotion to him they were inauthentic people the pharisees their piety was external the hearts had not been circumcised by the invisible hand of God, enabling them to love him and to genuinely serve him. The hearts consequently were far from him. They were not in the kingdom of heaven. They were natural men, as 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, they had only a natural birth. They had not experienced a miraculous transformation of the new birth. They were not saved people. That's why they could pretend to be. What they weren't. It's all a pretense. There was no spiritual reality with them. And that was, that was not confined to their day. There are people today even in churches. Who have not experienced a new birth. They have not experienced that supernatural transformation. By the work of the Holy Spirit. But they are religious perhaps. They grew up in church. Perhaps they know the jargon. They know when to say praise the Lord and amen. But there's no reality there in their life. There is no real love for God. There's no real love for Jesus Christ. There is no commitment to obeying Him. They are merely hypocrites. And I know people say, well, that's the problem with the church. There are too many hypocrites. Well, let me tell you something. You go anywhere in this world, they're hypocrites. besides being uh, the reality of hypocrisy among those who profess to be Christians will not stand you in good stead when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, well, I would have come to you, Lord, but (laughs) there are some hypocrites. That will not wash. The righteousness of the hypocritical is all external. Therefore, their approach to fasting focused on external appearance and desiring to be seen of men. Jesus commands here in this verse, tell, uh, his command here tells us how hypocrites function. He lays it out for them. He observed them. And he knew their hearts. And he said, this is how they do it. And he says to his followers, to us, who are are believers, we're not to participate in the hypocrisy of external religion trying to impress people. He says here, do not put on a gloomy face. That's a sad facial expression that portrays gloom and suffering. But the fact is they were not sad. They were not sad at all outwardly they look like oh i'm really suffering for my nation israel but inwardly they were delighting in the attention they were getting for their perceived suffering for their nation people were checking them out and inside this end. yeah that's exactly what i want sham religious sham jesus says don't put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do Further, he says, for they neglect their appearance. Neglect, that word there in the original language means to make something disappear. You say, how do they make their face disappear? Their appearance, how has it disappeared? They made their faces disappear by covering them with ashes. Which was an expression of mourning and repentance. Repentance. Here they are with their faces covered over by the ashes and people all look at them with a sad expression. They have ashes. They're in mourning and they're repenting. The fact is, no, they weren't. Jesus nails it. He says what the real deal is. You might fool people, but you can't fool him. You might fool people, many people, but you'd never be able to fool God. And Jesus says, this is the deal. They do it so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Noticed by men? That's their goal. The word noticed is from the same root as the word rendered neglect a moment ago. Uh, that word neglect, remember, disappear, make something disappear. This word, notice, is from the same Greek root. It can be translated to appear. Now, get this here's the irony they made their faces disappear so that they may appear to men. <laughs> they hear their faces only that they may be seen. Their purpose was clearly deceptive. Their apparent self-humiliation and the ashes and all of that was all a fraud. Their appearance of fasting was merely a ploy to capture the attention of the public, to garner admiration from it, to be esteemed as pious. There goes brother so-and-so. Oh, he's so righteous. There goes sister so-and-so. Oh, she is so holy. And they're hearing it. Said, yes. That's what I am. They wanted to be esteemed for being pious. They wanted to give the impression that I'm devoted to Yahweh. It's a religious game. Religious game. Jesus. He says in verse 16, Truly I say to you, stop there to the comma for a moment. Truly, I say to you, whenever Jesus says, truly, I say to you, you want to stop and think about that. Everything he ever uttered was utterly true. But this is kind of like um, he's underscoring it. Truly, I say to you, this expression of the Lord serves to call attention to what follows an important statement that is certainly true. Truly, I say to you. They have their reward in full. That's all they're going to get. Their reward is temporary. What is the reward? The admiration of men. When men applaud them. When men praise them. When men say, you know, uh, he or she is really, really righteous. Jesus says that's all they get. The admiration of men. In fact, the words reward in full renders a single word in the original text. It means paid in full. (laughs) Nothing due from God. Whatsoever. So Jesus delineates the behavior of those who are uh, hypocritical. Who are doing it what they do for the attention of men their, their religious practice is all on the outside Jesus already name checked them in Matthew five twenty. he says for I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees you will not enter the kingdom of heaven as we've just seen, and as we've said before, it is all external. The hearts have not been transformed. Only external behavior. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your father who is in heaven. don't want to do that you don't want to do what you do for an audience of people you have an audience of one for his eyes only even if they see what you do let your light so shine that men may see your good works that your father in heaven will be glorified it is not that you are glorified and you're not doing it for yourself you're wanting him to be glorified the hypocrites they get all their reward now hypocritical fasting let's move to the next heading verses 17 and 18 under sincere fasting Jesus makes a contrast here obviously but you but you the you there are the beatitude people Remember Matthew 5, 3 and following? The people who are in the kingdom. Those who have been born again. But you, my followers, but you. That's who he's talking about here. In contrast to the hypocrites, he says, but you, when you fast, again, demonstrating it's voluntary, there's no command to do it, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. In other words, don't look like you're fasting. What they would do, they'd put oil on their face. That was part of good grooming. Even in that uh, time, it was very hot in Palestine. It's hot and dry, and your scalp would um, needs the soothing oil placed on your skin because it's so dry and oftentimes hot. And the, the oil would be uh, scented as well. And so they were, Jesus said, anoint yourself. Before you walk out the door, going into the public market or wherever people are assembled, you're fasting, but groom yourself, put some oil on your head. And he says, wash your face. The very contrasting reality of putting ashes all over your face. Nobody will know it. You bit the marketplace. You're buying something. But nobody knows that you're fasting because you don't care you're not doing it for them Jesus and you are to behave normally they were not to do anything that would attract attention to themselves you see following him is about him it's not about self glory having somebody pat you on the back for supposed religiosity, piety. In fact, you know it was f- interesting. Washing and anointing usually mark the end of fasting in Second Samuel twelve twenty. That's fascinating, isn't it? Those who sincerely want to please God seek to avoid trying to impress men. The Father sees in secret; He is omnipresent. He knows what you're doing and he sees it. He knows your heart. He knows what you're really about. What is the purpose of fasting? We can take off the list right now that we're not doing it if you do it, whenever you do it, for the sake of men. Fasting is simply a part of a concentrated, intense concern for the Lord, his will, and his work. There are times when the gravity of the condition of God's work, his name, all of that will drive a person to withdraw from food. And spend time, rather than eating, in prayer. They say, I, 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 I don't have time to eat, I've I got to pray about what's going on spiritually. Legitimate fasting always has a spiritual purpose. Let me uh, just talk a moment or two about it. You you probably remember. And Ezra, would you like to turn there with me? Ezra. I probably shouldn't have you do this. Okay, I've been been authorized. All good, that's what we'll do. Ezra 8. Ezra Eight. There are going some Jews back from Babylonian captivity. And Ezra was leading the, Ezra the scribe. Ezra Eight verse 20. Now, if you can't find it, don't worry about it. Just listen. I'm going to read it. So if you don't find it, don't, don't let that bother you. Just listen. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Hava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek him from him a safe journey for us, our little ones and all our Possessions for I was ashamed to request from the king troops and horsemen to protect because we had said to the king the hand of our God is favorably favorably disposed to all who seek him but his power and anger are against all those who forsake him he had made a boast in God he said our God will protect us we don't need human beings to do it our God is quite able He is quite capable of protecting us. So what we're going to do, because we don't want the king to be confused, we don't want him to misunderstand who our God is, we need God's help. We're going to invoke his protection. So Ezra called for a fast. They humbled themselves to seek him. In verse 23, it says, so we fasted and sought our God concerning this matter. And he listened to our entreaty. They fasted and prayed and God in heaven heard them and he protected them. And they got to Jerusalem without any problems. Because God is well able. He is well able to take care of his people. God is on display there's another case 2nd Chronicles same rule applies about finding it if you can't just listen 2nd Chronicles chapter 20 it's one of the great great stories of faith in the Bible I love this particular story it's really, really, it's really rich. It's it, it shows how we ought to be. Second Chronicles chapter 20. I hope you found it. It's a confederation of nations coming against King Jehoshaphat and Judah. You see that in verse 1. In verse 2, the report came to to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, out of Aram. And he names them. Our king, the king, verse 3, was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Now, may I pause here and say something? When you're facing a confederation of nations with a multitude of armies coming against you, that is no time to be pretending, fasting for show. Because <laughs> your well being's this thing, right? You better be real right now. If ever you were real, this is better be the time. <laughs> look what they did in verse 4 Judah gathered to gather to seek help from the Lord where else could they go they sought help from the invisible Yahweh they know he exists they know he is Lord and they say we need him we're going to abstain from food and we're going to pray because we're in dire straits and we need God's help. So everybody came from all the cities of Judah, it says, to seek the Lord, to seek his intervention, to seek his blessing, to seek his power to be operative on their behalf. Now here's the king. Verse 5, Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the court. And look what he said. I want you all to take note of this prayer. Verse six: O Lord, the God of our fathers. He is saying, O oh, Yahweh, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? And are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Yes, to both. Rhetorical questions. Power and might are in your hands. So that no one can stand against you. Did you not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel. And give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? They have lived in it. And have built you a sanctuary there for your name. Saying, Should evil come upon us, the sword, our judgment, our pestilence, our famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, you're identified by this house, what he's saying, and cry to you in our distress, and you will hear and deliver us. He is saying to God, God, this is who you are. This is what you've done. And therefore, we come before you. We haven't eaten anything. We're just seeking you. Then he goes on to inform God in verse 10 who's coming against him. Of course, God knew that. Verse 11, see how they're rewarding us by coming to drive us out from your, get this, possession. Which you have given us as an inheritance. Oh, our God, will you not judge them for we are powerless before this great multitude or coming against us nor do we know what to do but our eyes are on you ah that's a good thing to say when you're in a dilemma you don't know what to do and the problem is overwhelming you say to God God I don't know what to do but I got my eyes on you because I know you know what to do and you can do it That's what he's saying. God, we can't do anything. Who are we? So we're looking to you, Yahweh. Y'all need to read the rest of the story. The battle belonged to God. And God intervened. And the victory was theirs. Because they put their trust in Yahweh. He said I don't have time for eating I got time to pray and watch God work so that's not all go with me to the New Testament again Acts chapter 13 God's work we've seen just a moment ago God's power to petition him for blessing Now we're going to see God's work in the church. Acts chapter 17. 13, excuse me. Acts chapter 13. And verses 2 and 3. The church at Antioch (laughs) is a wonderful church. It was a church that had Jews and Gentiles. A Multi-ethnic church. People loving the Lord Jesus Christ and serving him. In verse 2, while they were ministering to the Lord. Let me explain that just moment, moment, a moment. Ministering to the Lord means that everything they were doing is for him. The teaching was for him. Mm-hmm. Not that he needed to be taught, but they were, that's how they were worshiping him, serving him to the Lord and fasting. At that time, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So the Holy Spirit spoke apparently through a prophet and said, set these men apart because I am going to send them on a mission. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Why did they pray and fast? They prayed and fasted because they wanted God's blessing on that ministry. They wanted it to be successful and so they wanted to draw away and, and from food and they continue to and they wanted to pray that God would do that. It indicates the deep seriousness of with which they interceded for divine blessing on the missionary outreach. These men, Barnabas and Saul, that is Paul and Barnabas, are going to go and reach Gentiles and Jews. And that's a profound ministry, profound work with the gospel. And this church knew how serious that was. So they said, well, what we need to do before you guys go, we know the Lord has called you to go. We need to pray for you and fast while we're praying that God will bring down his blessing and make it successful. Ministry is serious. And we have to be serious in addressing God about it blessing will come was it successful if you read the, the gospel account or the Acts the account you know yes God blessed Gentiles were coming into the family of God along with believing Jews Acts chapter 14 They're on that missionary journey. Acts fourteen twenty one. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, that is, persevere, and saying, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God true saints by the way this side note will persevere in the faith they won't stop they won't quit and never return now verse 23 is significant this is my point I want to make for this passage for this moment when they had appointed elders for them in every church having prayed with fasting they commended them to the Lord in whom they they believed choosing spiritual leaders for God's flock is of the utmost seriousness elders pastors overseers all those terms are interchangeable it refers to the same office same person those people those men who are to shepherd God's flock the flock for whom Christ died must be mature and godly men The seriousness of that ministry responsibility is such that they have to be men who are godly men who are mature in the faith not some newbie and not some guy who can just stand up and sound good no but is he godly? Because of the influential power of a man who, are, who is going to proclaim the word of God, who is going to shepherd the flock, that influence is impactful. So that person needs to be godly and needs to be mature. Paul and Barnabas understood that. They were keenly aware of the requisite for this particular job, the ministry for the flock. It should never be taken lightly. Think about this. Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, died for the church. You can't play with leadership of those for whom Christ died. It's too serious. And in our day, we have some jokesters in pulpits. Guys who are playing in it for money in it for women and an assortment of other things but true ministry true shepherds is what God requires. They prayed with fasting because choosing these men uh, even the process so important. So they were serious. That they could concentrate when they fasted, Concentrated in prayer. God, for these men, give us and then use them to build up and strengthen the souls of these people who have come into your kingdom. How important that is. How serious these people were for the cause of Christ and in the Old Testament the Jews for the work of God for his power intervention now in Matthew chapter 6 verse 18 you see what it says the father and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Yes, he will. Individually. And even if there's corporate prayer, because it's not done to impress someone, it's to get to come before him to seek his blessing. Fasting coupled with prayer is simply concentrated intense concern for the Lord, his will, and his work. Let me conclude. People whose great concern is to please God and glorify his name have no interest in hypocritical religious activity. You know why? Because it's not about them it's about him and his work let us pray our God and our Father we thank you for uh, the revelation that you've given us from your word today may uh, these truths find deep deep lodging in the farthest recesses of our hearts and conform our life and spiritual practice to what you pronounce through your word from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for any here in this room and listening online who need Christ as you bring them to him today. We pray these things in his glorious name. Amen.